0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Tonight, I want to talk about first things first. And um, I don't know about you, but I always like a bargain. And uh, it was Christmas. I've got three kids: uh, Tamara, Josh, and Jess. And I saw this bargain, and it just had a, it was a really big bus that you could put, you know, fifty dollars in and. And it was just in a really big box and it was 50% off. And it was, I just couldn't believe my luck. You know, I got this thing. So I got there and I bought it and I was so impressed with myself. Uh, you know, we had, I think, a carol service. It was, you know, the night before Christmas. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. And I opened it up about 1130 at night and it had 190 pieces. And it was just like my worst nightmare. And being a bloke, and maybe a 50-plus bloke, maybe you young blokes have worked this out. See, there wasn't Google growing up when I was around. So I went, I'm going to work this out all by myself. Not good. (laughs) That's not a good way to go. You know, because there are things that you have to put on first in order to get to second base. So I worked it out in my man logic, and that didn't go well. And finally, I got back to the manufacturer's instructions and went... I quit. I surrender. My way is not going to work. These things, in in my opinion, don't even fit on this thing. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to go back to what the instructions are actually saying I need to how I can build this. Our lives are a little bit like that. You know, we, we live in a a culture where choice is every, the more choice, the better. True? You know, choice of car, choice of in the supermarket. Some people, when you go to the country or even overseas, they go, that can't be a supermarket. Supermarket's only got one type of salt or one type of pepper. It's like, what is that? We are used to more and more choice. It's our right to have choice. But when it comes to living, when it comes to actually living a, a life that is, is, is alive and full, I want to suggest tonight that you actually need to work out what is, comes first. I remember doing some um, some uh, leadership development stuff, and one of the ladies was doing a whole lot of workshopping on going. You have about forty to fifty values, so let's try and discover those values. You know what? Even fifty values are quite confusing for me. Putting first things first. What? Are, and then we got down to the end of the afternoon. Was what are your core values? What are the non-negotiables? What is it that you, when push comes to shove, you already know what you're going to say and how you're going to respond? Wouldn't it be good to live like that? I want to suggest that tonight that the, that the church or the kingdom of God, there, there is a king. He's actually created this world. He is both our source and our sustainer. And while in the West we think we have a myriad of choices and it's all good as long as we're not hurting somebody else, the fact is God's word wants to differ from that particular That particular standpoint says, as long as you're doing it reasonably well, then it's all okay. That that in this space tonight, I want to just discover that if it is that God is a God who is our source and our sustainer, that means he's proactive, he is not a passive father, he's not a passive creator, he's not a removed creator, then tonight the question I want to raise with you is, can you actually decide as a human being, as a son or a daughter of God, to actually trust him with what comes first. A lot of the pain, now not all pain is, is subject to this, but a lot of pain in life, being a youth pastor and then kind of a family's pastor and then as I got older, uh, I it's not a real pastor, just an old pastor, but for many years, probably 25, 30 years, being in, in and loved people, one of the things that is that there is—it's absolutely clear in my head is, There's a lot of pain in the world. That's just given. But there's even more pain if someone decides to live their lives outside the values and the core understanding of what Jesus is about and his kingdom. It just gets more painful. It may not be painful today, but I often say to people, if that decision you're going to make, if it's going to be there now in five years, what is it going to be like? What are the roadblocks? What are the, what are the dead ends that may come if you choose your way of thinking and your wisdom at this stage of your life? Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'll see if I can work this machine. Uh, there's a desire in us to live well. There's a desire in us to, to find life. And when I read the Gospels, Jesus is really clear about that he's come to give everyday human beings, a chance at life, real life. A life that means I can be known and I I can also know others. I can be in community. I can know God and I can walk with God around his instructions for me. But as humans, we also have this innate desire to go, well, I'm not going to conform. I want to do it my way. I want to have my choices. And part of what I want to just unpack a bit this afternoon tonight is, what does it mean to actually, is, if it's absolutely true that the kingdom of God is a reality and there is, there is a way to live that gives you the best chance of actually living fully and fully alive, what is it? And what does it mean for you to make the choice? Not just once when you come to faith, but regularly, maybe even daily to that point. My hunch is that when you, when you finally encounter the kingdom of God and the king that actually has created this world, you will never turn back fully to a different way of living and ignoring it. You can actually have a, a bit of a, a kind of belief in God and then just live your own life. But if you truly have been, encounter the living God, the creator that knows you by name, you never can go back to just doing your own thing. Here's a little story. It goes like this. It's from Matthew 13, 44, if, you're a, you know, if you've got your Bible on, online somewhere. But it, it, let me just do an unpacked, revised, slandered version. Is that okay? I don't know whether you do that. Sam's away, so he'll, he'll tell me if it's not okay when he gets back. But, you know, there's a guy called Reuben, 2,000 years. It's in the Mediterranean, and as far as I can see on the landscape, it's not all green and lush like New South Wales. And Reuben's job, he's just a hired hand. Nothing. He's not up the top and he's not at the bottom. He has a job. The trouble is his job is not that attractive. Most of the day he spends looking at the backside of oxen because he's the one in charge of ploughing. And unfortunately back then you have to, there's no air-conditioned box. You just have to sit in the sun in a fairly desert place and his job is to actually just do the furrows and do the ploughing. It's a regular day. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you have those mundane things to do at work, your head's somewhere else, you're just doing the stuff. <laughs> you're just going through the motions. Sometimes when my wife is talking to me, I'm I'm somewhere else. I'm just going through the motions till she asks me a question and then I can't remember the context of the question. It's not so good. But most of us to have a capacity to go, I'm really just over this going round and round in circles in my job, in my love life, in my, my space. So I'm just going to be somewhere else. The virtual world is both you know, a really great thing that we have but also can be a very destructive thing because people's capacity to opt out of real life and actually engage in some kind of life that just takes them away from reality. So Ruben's doing this round and round and he's hoping because it's an old paddock that he won't hit any rocks because when a plough hits a rock, it's not good. Efficiency goes down, time goes down and so he's wandering along and all of a sudden he hits something and he's a little frustrated the oxen he pulls the oxen up because he has to actually make sure that it's all good slaps down the plow and he gets there and he starts digging to see what's under there that's that's stopped the plow going through finds a bit of tattered material looks like it's been there for yeah you know, at least 20 or 30 years he, he undoes some string he pulls this thing out finally he sweats and he finds when he opens a little of this little clay jar or this clay jar that there's gold in there like he's never seen and he actually starts to go, wow, is anybody here? It's not my field. And not like the government here where if you've got minerals on your land, that's too bad. Back then, you know, you had the right to actually have that. And so he covered it all back. He made sure no one was looking and he ran back to his place and he started to sell everything from under him to, and in order to grab, hold it and buy that piece of land. You see... You know, holy desire won't go away. When you've actually encountered the kingdom of God in its activity, in its power, in its capacity to, to bring you into a community of people, it never goes away. There's something profound about that. And yet so many of us, in the, in the place where we do have lots of choice, many of us, including myself, are tempted to live half-heartedly. What do I mean by that? I believe that the God that we've just worshipped this evening is not a passive God. I don't believe that he's just set up the universe and he's just clocked off. I believe that he's a God that actually is passionate about giving life and receiving love and and giving love into the the people that he's created. But many of us, like C.S. Lewis says, we, we sometimes ignore the promises that God gives us in the Gospels. Second paragraph, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink, sex, ambition, with an infinite, infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant to be to be offered a holiday by the sea. I don't know about you, but my longing in my heart, if, if I was to be completely open, is that I don't just want to do stuff in my life. I want to be able to be be part of creating something that that leaves the world a better place by the time I get to heaven. I want to be in, in healthy relationships where I can give and receive love. But you know what? I'm often tempted because it's much more complex to do it that way, to actually go to that paragraph and go, I'll just bring my expectations down enough to survive and not to actually care enough about anything in particular. Christian marriages, raising kids, if you actually live by this and you say, this is what I want to set my life into, it will get complex and it is painful. But I believe that when we see and experience encounter God in his kingdom, it's amazing because he's proactive and actively involved in our lives and he's actively wanting to transform us, that when we give him even half a centimetre he takes it and he begins for us to take a different journey. And so putting first things first, how do we do that? There's lots, to, there's lots of choices. There's one thing to discover the kingdom of God. You know, it's around us. I've just spent, a, last weekend I spent a day in the Blue Mountains walking down through the Undercliff Walk at Wentworth Falls. It is absolutely spectacular. If you have a half a Saturday and you've got you know, a capacity with more lung capacity than me, take some time to go and sit and be in God's creation. You are convinced that, that God's grace and creativity is just amazing if you just take the time to spend it, to be in it. You see, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field. When he discovered that treasure... He did whatever it took in order to possess that. He he knew instinctively, his desire was, if I gain that, then my life will be forever changed. I want to say tonight, there's a couple of things, but one of them is this, that it's easy to discover God's grace because it's all around us. But it's another thing to actually actually claim it and go, I'm going to live into that way that God has given to me. I want to say that, that many Christians that in, in my generation started with, yeah, great, God's good, Jesus is good, He's, he wants to love me, he wants to give me life to the full and they discovered something about God's grace. But the second part took effort to actually move into that. And so some of them became a little bit religious I would say now, in that second paragraph. They actually, they sort of played it both ways. And after a while, after a few years, they became to, they became to, be, to be very dissatisfied with both ch- the church encounter and their life encounter. Half heartedness seemed to then take back and what was there for a moment disappeared for, for the rest of their lives. In the last part of that statement, it says, This can dim our awareness of the present tense resurrection and the infinite joy that is offered to us. I want to make a bold statement tonight. And I go, If you can't experience some sense of of joy, then maybe you haven't really encountered the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about happiness. And I acknowledge that depression is part of our, our society and anxiety is increasing. But I want to say... If it is that we start to actually not only just know about God's love and the resurrection power given to in 2015 and continue to be released, then there's some part of us that has a hope that goes beyond our circumstances. But it means that we actually need to te- to actually decide to live by a different way. When I was trying to build that bus thing for my daughter, you know, I wasted a whole lot of time because I refuse to actually abide by the instructions of the manufacturer, first things first. And so often as a human, humans, we do the same. In our love life, in our work life, there's a temptation to go, if there's an opportunity, I'm going to take it. True? And often we make our, our, our mistakes on the run because we are so hurried in trying to get somewhere that we forget whose we are. And in this parable, there's a sense here that that Jesus is saying the kingdom of god is the one thing that you do not let go of at any at any time in your life it is so valuable that everything else everything else that you, all everything else in your life will will pale into insignificance if you actually encounter and live under the the kingdom rule this next slide just talks about he went and he did a really funny thing. In his excitement or in his joy, he hit, he hit it again and sold everything he owned to, give en- to get enough money to buy the field. For him to access this treasure, he had to actually go, everything else is insignificant, R- ruthless determination, sacrifice, tenacious effort. Some of the things he did, he went all out, it says, to actually go, I need to purchase that. I need to have that treasure. And Jesus is saying, that whole chapter in chapter 13 is about kingdom of God. And he's saying, you need to know that when I've already committed to you as God, but when you actually discover that and you decide that you want to actually have both all ten toes in, there's something happens in the heaven, in the realm that says, now you're mine. And we'll work through this. Putting first things first is sometimes difficult. It takes effort. But it's worth it. I had a friend that, um, that a few years ago, he asked me to come over and he was in his 30s. And he had his garage and he had this tin shed and uh, he was moving house. He had another kid and, you know, the, the small car was not big enough anymore and all that kind of stuff that happens at some level in your life. If you go beyond three kids, it's just about, you know, it all, everything changes. And he asked me to help him move and we had a couple of guys from church come over and, We went to his back shed and we could nearly not get into a couple of metres by a couple of metres shed because he had so many trophies. He was one of those guys, the opposite to me, six foot something, slim, muscular, well coordinated, loved his sport. And it felt like we were going through a grief exercise when we actually cleaned out his shed because his wife had had somehow made an agreement with him and said none of that is coming to our new place. All the trophies The whole 15 years from when he was about six in early, you know, whatever those child athletics, right through to when he met his wife and had his first kid, all of the trophies, all of the grandeur was just going to be tossed. Everything else was going to the new house. And that was just now junk. You know, some of us, when we get to actually face Jesus face to face, he's going to ask, what did you do with the the money I gave you, the life I gave you, the capacity to love? What have you done with it? And some of us will go, what about this trophy? What about this trinket? And he'll go, you know what, that's just secondary. What did you do with the gift of life that I gave you? For me, it's a very sombre question. Now, God, when I grew up, I figured that sometimes that God, when they preached about God, he was very kind of gnarly and looked down. And it was a frown across his, you know, his face. But the joy that i read about when Jesus comes to earth, they actually mixed him up with a drunkard and a party animal. And he says, if you see me, you've seen my father. I'd love to unpack that afterwards. We haven't got time here. I'm sure I'm all over time. But you know what? There's something about religion that gets in the way of actually accessing the joy of the father. And the joy of the Holy Spirit and the joy of Jesus. And in this space, here it is. We can get so enamored with, with trophies and trinkets and things that give us status in the world that's passing away, and yet at the end of the day, a season passes, and it's worth pretty well nothing. You chuck it on eBay, you hope you get something from the metal, the metal people but it's not worth much. And the challenge I want to, 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 to raise tonight is, do you know what you're living for? Do you know what the first things are in your life? Will you not compromise because those things are things that you have decided to orientate your whole life around? In Matthew 5, 8, it says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. I want to say tonight that, it's so easy to actually be distracted into thinking that the secondary things are the first things in life. Mary and I, we have to work at that in our own relationship. You know, we've been married 33 years. Now, just some of you go, What? I've not even been alive 33 years. But I want to say, You know what? Working through that, when, when it says that I'm going to live by the, the code of the kingdom, it means as a bloke, I've, I've at times had to say, I choose to surrender and to not push my way. I choose to say sorry when I don't feel like saying sorry. There are many times in our, in our relationship where I've had to whisper to God, I don't want to say sorry, I can't say sorry, I know that's a core value of your kingdom, so give me the capacity to say, I am sorry. I'm getting better at it, but it's taken me quite a while. I don't know about you, but when we talk about actually living into the kingdom, if it's going to be in our mind and our heart put right, it's a continual ongoing process. But we start to see joy in the world around us when we can't keep short accounts with God. The thing here for me is that, you know... When John records, he's a disciple of Jesus. He's hung around Jesus for three years and he's picked up this. And Jesus is really intentional saying, you see me, you see the way I, I see the world and you see the way my Father and the Holy Spirit sees the world. We're not, different human, we're, not, we're not different beings. We are in fellowship together. And John has, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's actually lying on the chest of Jesus. And in Hebrew culture, they didn't just sit around the dining table. They often lent on each other and lent around the room. And and in this place, Jesus and John knows just how the the God creator in Jesus is so close to his heart, he can hear the heartbeat. I want to suggest that the kingdom of God, when it comes, when you encounter the kingdom, the, the God of the universe, our Abba Father actually comes that close and says, there's now nothing between you and me as you live your life. Will you orientate your whole life around my values? That's the invitation he gives us. But his promise is that the one that we can be know for sure that we are dearly loved, not because we're doing anything fancy, but because God says, "I've come after you, and I want you to live around these values so that you can be invited into my community. Will you do that? So many of us still, in myself included. I get to a space where I still want to choose secondary things and make them a priority. I love this. One of the tests for me as I come to live out the kingdom values is this, to putting first things first is there is no room in love for fear. Well, let me just stop there for a minute. If I've encountered the kingdom of God and love is the key core value of it, when I start to fear... I need to check what values I'm living by. It's probably certain that I've moved into secondary things and making them a first priority, and I need to come back and actually go, I'm going to reprioritise who I belong to and how I live. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling a fearful life. The fear of death or judgement is one not yet fully formed in love. I want to say tonight, I want to encourage you to go, you've got, many of you have got 40 to 60 years and if the, if the pension age keeps going up and the retirement age keeps going up, you might have another 100 years by the time medical... Of- I would want to say to you, with that amount of time in front of you, choose tonight, choose again tomorrow, what and who you are going to follow and what are the first things, that, what are the values and beliefs that you're going to hold on to no matter what life throws at you. That's challenging. But if you want to be a spiritual leader, if you want to be a spiritual partner, a spiritual, a kingdom partnership with God in your workplace, then it's not as difficult as it seems because God is very clear about what he's, what he's asking from you. He's asking that you bring your brokenness and your capacity not to follow through. And he's asking you to go, will you come back and just be brutally honest with me and allow me to do the work of the resurrection power to change you and transform you? so that you can become more and more like my son Jesus. That's the bit. But it takes, it sounds so simple, but it takes everything we've got plus more because it's so hard not to decide what I, how I'm going to live and what are the values I'm going to live by. Come to the board, the conclusion of what I want to say. And when I was growing up, back in the 70s at high school, there was a... a a story of Jim Elliott. Some of you will know this story well, but you know what? Jim Elliot was at uni. He was a smart dude and he and someone came one night and said, will you actually give everything to God's cause and will you do whatever he asks you to do to actually live your life? He decided he would become a missionary because there were people in, in South America that, were, that had never heard of the name of Jesus. And so he was convicted, he got married, they were a young married couple and they gave up a really comfortable existence because they, they believed that the king was calling them into action. And this is what he said, he was martyred on a little riverbank. Before he got to even share anything of the gospel with these people, he was martyred for his faith just in the late 50s. And he, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Do you want to, if you, do you want to find and live by the, the kingdom of God? There's a great statement. And as I close, here's a, here's a verse from, from Philippians chapter 3. You, you might want to hear it again. This is Paul's way of saying, you know what? I'll, do, I'll make sure the first things are first because the God I serve is so active and he's, he's created me for this season to be able to make a kingdom difference wherever he leads me. Listen to what Paul says, uh, one of my heroes of faith. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as all as garbage so I can gain Christ. Tonight I want to say to you, love to talk to you, love you to talk to other people if you if you're convicted, where you're living, are second things the priority in your life? I'll have you tonight again gone back to the basics and saying, I want to give my whole life to, to encountering God and his kingdom and allowing his kingdom to rule in my life in such a way that the people around me will never be the same because they'll see the active power of the resurrection of Jesus living in me and through me. That's the challenge. It's a great challenge and it's great for me. It's not just a, a young adult, it's an all of life. Every day, every week, we need to come back and go, I do not want to be tempted to live a second-rate life. I want to live by the values of the kingdom. Thank you, my.